What if you believed you could achieve any success you want? What would you do differently? What would you think differently? Thank you for listening to On the Air with Jeanette Sibley. It's your time for success. I'm coming to you from the Mile High City of Denver, Colorado. My focus each week is to share with you success tips, insights, and how to do it that help you achieve the results and successes you've always wanted in your business, in your career, and in other areas of your life. Are you ready to uncover the success you've always wanted? Happy Thanksgiving to those of you who are celebrating today. My topic today is one that will surprise many of you who are type A personalities, the type that believes you can control emotions and feelings by not acknowledging them. However, one important type of emotion that cannot be controlled is grief. Even those of you who do not consider yourselves to be strong personality types and are willing to process your emotions and feelings are often surprised by grief. It's something that we believe should be over and done with, like breaking a finger and it heals. It's done with. Unfortunately, we fail to understand the impact grief can have on our results, businesses, careers, and life pursuits until it's too late. Let me share a fictionalized story based on a true one about an up-and-coming executive that failed to handle her grief. Jennifer lost her home in one of the California wildfires, and the company she had founded was, was gone too. So she found a new job as an executive director and moved to Phoenix, but never took the time to work through her grief or even acknowledge it. She had lost her beloved dog, Dixie, her home, and all of her belongings. She believed once she moved away from the area and no longer had to look at the burn areas, everything would be fine. However, about six months later, the president of the board of directors where she worked demanded she do something she didn't want to do or she believed was the right thing to do. Instead of scheduling a conversation to talk through it, she fired back an email about his lack of ethics. Needless to say, she was having an executive meltdown. Her job was terminated, and she didn't know what to do. And the moral here is this could have been prevented if she had taken the time to acknowledge her grief and handle the situation in a professional manner. Most of you listening have had loss in your life, often many times. Some of you have handled your grief in a way that works for you, while others are trying to ignore and control it without a lot of success. My guest today is Leslie Charles. She is a longtime friend, nationally recognized author, and award-winning professional speaker. Thanks to one of her books, Leslie has made guest appearances on all of the major TV networks, Bloomberg, and National Public Radio, plus showcased in magazines and newspapers, including a USA Today cover story. In her book, All Is Not Lost, Leslie talks about how to work through the grieving process by better understanding what it entails. As a successful public personality, she will share what she learned while dealing with her own grief. Welcome, Leslie. Thank you, Jeanette. A pleasure to be with you. And happy Thanksgiving. I was going to say that too. Great. 
So let's get right into it. What is grief? Some of our listeners are probably going, well, you know, I feel sad, but I don't know if that's grief or not, or I feel unhappy, or, you know, I'm really missing my pet or my spouse or my child or my parent or a good friend. But that's just sadness. That's not grief. And it's just something that just shouldn't be there because, you know, it's over, it's done with. When people ask me about defining grief, it takes on all kinds of different permutations. So let's start with the word change. Any major change in our life where there's something we've given up, something that we need to adjust to, or something that we lose involves grief. So involves dealing with the unwanted, the unexpected, you mentioned sadness. And surely we're all going to have sad times but sometimes that sadness hangs on because we haven't really acknowledged its presence. So that makes a difference in terms of how we are going to handle grief. You talked about type A personalities. And isn't it marvelous when we have the strength, the cleverness, the strategy to accomplish so much of what we want? But unfortunately, dealing with grief isn't a project. It's a process. Mm. We're used yeah. To projects, and but. that process, sometimes we like to shortchange it. You know, everybody today wants immediacy. We want it quickly. We want things now. And what I you're saying is that's not grief. I have actually talked with people who have lost a spouse or, as you mentioned, the woman who had I mean, think of the major loss when you lose a home in a fire. You lose part of your history, Mm -hmm. your sanctuary. And there, oh my gosh, I can't even fathom that. I, I know it's happened to friends of mine and it was absolutely devastating. Sometimes we think, well, if I change this, if I change that, like location, then I can leave everything behind. But grief is cellular. It's something that becomes part of our physical and emotional self. And it does take time to work through it. People have said to me, after my husband died, everyone at work was so wonderful to me for about three weeks. And then they thought, well, you should be getting over it by now. Uh, So all that does is add a lot of pressure to the person who's grieving. It does. And one of the things that I tell people about grieving is the fact that it's extremely inconvenient. And and I I sound maybe Mm. odd using that word, but it means the world is moving on, but your world has just come to a screeching halt. And there are many pieces that you need to take care of. And it takes a one thing at a time I will quote Emerson, who said, the best way out is through. Um, And that means just like after a fire, sifting through little tiny pieces to find maybe a locket or a ring or some cherished possession. It's the same thing we have to do emotionally. And it's work. It's a lot of work. And those of us who, for whom things come more easily, oh, don't make me work don't make me have to stop. I want to keep on going. Yeah. And it could also be the loss of a job that you've, that you've loved or a job that you felt um, 
gave you the prestige you wanted in your community. Uh, I mean, grief can be a lot of different things. It's not just the death of a person or pet. It could be loss of something that you cherished. You know, one time I misplaced a, a, a book that I valued and I went through a grieving process. I couldn't find the book. And Especially people would look at you and go, hmm, that's weird. Get over it. Yeah, but it was a book that I valued. Yes. I made a list of a few items that constitute grief and loss. You mentioned a lot of times we, we just think of death, but it's so much more than that. It might be a friend who moves away, someone mm, yep. that our coffee clutch every week with. Um, it can be the change of status when parents say our last child just went off to college there's there's a sense there's a vacuum and that's one of the things that grief can leave uh change in health Um, my mother is 99 and her health has changed markedly in the last year she no longer lives alone she's in long-term care now and she recently Mm -hmm. fell and broke her hip although she's doing amazingly well Everyone is just almost nonplussed at how well she's doing. Um, And you mentioned work, losing a job, even a promotion Uh can cause some loss because all of a sudden our our old friends are treating us differently. We our our relationship shifts because maybe we haven't changed, but how we are perceived changes. So it can be little things or huge things. Exactly. Or like with the people I've coached, they get a promotion. They do need to make some changes in how they address people, who they hang out with, the kind of decisions that they make. And their their former friends no longer want to be their friends anymore. It's true. Yeah. It's true. And these things, again, I, I use the words unexpected and unwanted. And that's maybe a clue or some words we need to remember when we start getting this sense of irritation, impatience, or that sadness that you mentioned, because you never know what's going to trigger this sense of loss. I know when my parents were in assisted living, there was the grieving process because they knew that was the end of their life as they knew it to be. And it was also a grieving process for the rest of us um, because here's our parents who were once strong, independent people, no longer able to be that way. And that can happen. Like say we have, say somebody has a child who has an illness Uh, Life was not going to be like we imagined it to be or hoped it would be or anything of that nature. So grief grief is one of those interesting emotional processes that sometimes we just overlook. And so it's, it's really good that we're talking about that today. So why is it important that we talk about it on this day, which is Thanksgiving, and we've got all these holidays now. I, I can't remember. I s- saw something on Facebook. I think there's like over 30 different holidays, or maybe that's exaggerating. But there's a lot of different holidays during November and December. So why is it important for us to think of 
and handle our grief and pay more attention to it, particularly during this time of the year. Okay, I have another word to throw out, and it's the word expectation. Mm. Holidays come with expectations. You're going to celebrate, you're going to get together with friends, and let's think for a moment about our social and political environment right now. A lot of people haven't looked forward to Thanksgiving because there are certain delicate topics that may come up and they don't know how to deal with them, or, well, maybe some other people are itching to bring them up, <laughs> but it, it blows the expectation that we are all here to give thanks, to be grateful for every one of us having the opportunity to get together, and it ends up maybe with a, an expectation, but you may leave with a, a feeling of being downcast after things that get said that maybe well, not maybe, that shouldn't have been said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes all that does is is trigger our um, feelings, again, of sadness, using that word again. But also there's a, a, a word, uh, being sentiment. Can you say more about that sentimentality? <laughs> yes. I'm laughing because there's a song that, It's a Christmas song. Bing Crosby, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. And that song evokes so many different emotions in me. Mm. It's extremely sentimental. And I've never tracked exactly, but I, I get a little sad when I hear that song. Maybe because it reminds me of my father. And my dad's been dead for 18 years. And he had... My, my father could sing. He loved music. And we played that song a lot. <laughs> and I, now I can at least laugh at myself when I hear it. So it sort of breaks that. It's almost like stepping into a rope that's around your ankle and starts pulling you reluctantly mm-hmm. away. And again, I, I, I get amused because it's so sentimental. Sometimes I recommend to people don't play christmas carols if if you are suffering the loss of a loved one right now or something massive has changed maybe you have a a member a family member who's been deployed and so they're not going to be here for today or they won't be here for christmas or any other holiday that that you celebrate and it tears at your heart and makes you sad and um, I know people who create rituals for holidays so that when there is someone missing, they can at least acknowledge their present. The person's alive, they can make a phone call and, and put them on speakerphone and everyone can talk or they can do FaceTime. Mm-hmm. If the person is not available, uh, I know one family who has a chair for a military member and they set a plate, serve host the missing family member. So there are ways that we can compensate. And the power in that is at least the acknowledgement and not the denial. That is sometimes we think easier, but that's the one that sneaks up on us. And I think you hit on an important key point here is instead of denying that we're feeling what we're feeling is instead to acknowledge it. And I think a lot of times people are 
not encouraged to acknowledge what they're really thinking or feeling. Even though we love to talk about being authentic today, a lot of times people, particularly people who are really strong go-getters, uh, are in denial that life is a process. It's not an event. And so is grief. It's a process. It's not like snap your fingers and it's over. Oh, there's another piece to that. I'm glad you brought that up. And sometimes it makes us sad to see someone we love being sad. And when you and I talked earlier about grief can come in many forms, it also comes in many different ages. I remember my first feelings of loss, and I was five when mm. my first boyfriend moved, of all places, to Colorado, <laughs> and I was heartbroken. I mean, we couldn't even write to each other because we didn't know how to write. Wow. And all of a sudden, Victor is gone, and his family, his dog, the whole everything, and I was really sad, and my parents, not realizing that this is actual grief, just said, you'll get over it, you know? mm -hmm. and that's what we do sometimes, is, and it's a clumsy attempt to give comfort, and instead, it encourages denial. Does that make sense? It does. It's like you're talking about something that happened when you're five, and decades later, you're still remembering it. However, when you're remembering it, I think from what, how I'm hearing it is you're remembering it more in a fond ma manner than in a manner like, oh, how sad that was. You've given yourself permission to process through it. It, it happened. Took, it took time. And exactly. Exactly. As a, as a parent, I also had to think about the times I didn't acknowledge my children's grief or loss when they had a friend who moved away or we moved and they didn't want to change schools or something like that. And just this dismissal of, well, you'll get over it uh, really doesn't touch the spot that hurts. Mm -hmm. And now I, I mean, this was so long ago that I can, again, like the Bing Crosby song, I can, acknowledge what's going on in my emotional makeup and go oh yeah I remember yeah that was really that was my biggest tragedy at five uh, that mm -hmm. I and and be able to appreciate my sensitivity as a child and I had to understand that my parents had no capacity for understanding I was going through grief exactly so, it helps, especially with children, if, if we can do that. But there's still a child in each of us that needs the comfort. And we may not ask to be held and rocked and comforted in a physical way, but we have needs when it comes to handling loss. And a lot of times people just don't catch it. And then you yourself, as a parent went through that as well. Would you oh, like yeah. to share that with our audience, what happened and what you did to move forward? Yes. Um, when I used to fill out, I'm going to prep thing that my, my brain used to do. Whenever I was filling out forms and it would say number of living children, that would always stop me. 
And I would think, what's that like uh, for someone who's lost a child? Because I could just breeze by it. I had my three kids. They were healthy. We never even experienced a broken bone in our family. Uh And on September 9th, 1984, at 6 a.m., I got a call that my youngest son, Robbie, who was 21 at the time, was dead. He had been killed in a work accident talked about how the world keeps speeding by. In fact, it feels like it speeds up when your world comes to a screeching halt. And all of the the steps I had to go through, I didn't, I, I missed the first, um, whatever you call it, reception at the funeral home because I didn't know I was supposed to go. And a friend called and said, I didn't see. Oh, one of the reasons we have these visitations is because the structure helps deal with hour after hour or each day after you've been so shocked. Now I go to more visitations and funerals than I ever had before because I realize it's not for the person who died, but for the those who survive. Mm-hmm. So what did I do first? Um, I had been working on my attitude for a long time before 1984. And the morning of Robbie's funeral, I woke up and the very first words that popped through my head were, I just want to die too. I hurt physically. I hurt emotionally. I felt as if I had been bludgeoned. It was hard getting out of bed. And that, that phrase just kept going through my head. And then I, had another thought. And that second thought was, I can make it through this day. And then I had a third thought and positive thinking does become a habit. And what I learned from that was we have to, in some way, prepare ourselves for the worst. And how we do that is by thinking about what all of our options are, by taking care of ourselves, by reframing our thoughts so that everything isn't the end of the world. So that when the end of the world happens, we have some skills to pick us up and take the next step. Yeah. And I'm, I'm again, after all these years, still so sorry for your loss. I mean, that as the saying goes, you know, no parent should have to bury their child. And sometimes those platitudes we say, um, and I've read in on different blog posts, sometimes people don't know what to say. And so they say things like what I just said, which may or may not be appropriate at the time. So how do you help a friend or a, uh, an employee or somebody else who's going through a diff- difficult grieving process? What do you do? Like, what do you say? That, that is a hard one. And, and many of us don't know what to say. I am so sorry is always one thing that you can say because it's true. If mm-hmm. you're giving witness to their uh to the to the grieving person's reality another thing is to say i wish i had some magic words to help you mm. another thing is i'm here for you anything you need and of course mean it when you say that so exactly that so if they do take you up on the offer you're sincerely following through on it right exactly And I had a a card that I received six months after Robbie's death 
and it was from kind of a distant friend. And she said, I never knew what to say. So I didn't say anything, but I've reached the point where I at least need to say, I'm thinking of you and I'm sorry. Mm. Well, I think that's another thing, just saying, I'm thinking of you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes other platitudes like, oh, you'll get over it. Time heals all wounds. Sometimes, you know, people say a lot of things like that today, and it really doesn't help the person that's receiving that, does it? Yeah, it doesn't help. In fact, it can create a defensive reaction. Um, I'll go to a deeper place for a moment for 15 years, I was a kid who had had a loved one murdered. And mm-hmm. the things that people, you know, ask about details of the event or the, the tragedy. And it, you don't need to go that far. Just, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of you. I'm holding you in my heart. Um, I, I'm praying for you. Whatever is you, the part of you that is sincere. Right. And that can help a person just take another step. Exactly. Being willing to take the risk. It's risky because it's so uncomfortable when someone is in, in the state of grief or loss. And what we have to do is be brave as they are being and let them know that we are at least aware of what they're going through. Acknowledge it. Correct. So, what triggers grief? What gets in our way? Like how, what, what do we, what can we do to handle it such that it doesn't get in our way? Like it did in the, my story about Jennifer, where she failed to address her grief. She was actually in denial because she thought that that would make her look weak that, you know, Hey, I lost my entire life. I'm over here rebuilding it. You know, you sh- you should you should acknowledge that instead of focusing. I should acknowledge that, meaning that's that expectation I've put on myself. So, how do we handle that? What do you recommend? Let's go back for a moment to when you were talking about successful the people who have achieved a good deal of success in their lives. It it becomes a habit to try harder, to strategize to take risks. And many of the characteristics that make us successful in business, shall we say, can get in our way when we have to bear our soul, look weak. There is strength in vulnerability. In fact, allowing ourselves to be vulnerable, to say, I really hurt. I don't know yet how I'm going to handle all of this. This is really tough. This is really hard is actually a braver act, far braver than denying. Denying just puts the process off. Dr. Harold Bloomfield said, what we resist persists. And eventually, as in Jennifer's case, it came back to bite her. She responded to a challenge, to a situation in a completely inappropriate way because she had not yet sorted out her defenses, her sadness, her anger. And when that with my son's death, I, the, one of the ways that I helped myself deal with that was by writing his eulogy. 
And I didn't read it myself. I couldn't do that. But I asked the minister to, to read it. And I was probably not as tactful as I usually am because of my anger. And I, I remember saying to him, and I want you to read this exactly the way I wrote it. Uh-oh. In that tone of voice. And I, I feel bad now. But I needed to express my outrage. And being able to take control, if we could use that word, of what got said about my son was very satisfying. It helped my heart. Well, and you you bring up another word that we've been taught is wrong. We should not feel that way, and that's anger. But isn't that part of the process of moving through our grief Or is that like an old wives' tale? One of my favorite examples of anger that inspired action is Candy Leitner, who founded Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Mm. So yes, anger has a lot of energy, and it, of course, depends on where you direct that energy. And to to think about what she did, uh, how she channeled her anger into helping others who had been in the same situation and even enacting laws. Uh, There's a man named Mark Klass, who is the go-to guy for missing children. And his daughter, Polly Klass, was kidnapped and and murdered. And Mark gave up his job uh, and dedicated his life to helping save children. So anger can be a very positive channel depending on where you direct it and how. Yeah, there's a a lot of times I've seen, particularly with the school shootings, and that can be a very, very, very difficult time for not just the families, but the other people that are impacted as well. And one of the things that I find that sometimes get in the way of other people getting on board is people want to fight against it. Like, it shouldn't have happened. And they're right. It shouldn't have. However, when you fight against something, all that does is create a a wall around other people where they then have to defend their position. So what would you recommend to people that are going through that grieving process? They have anger. They really are coming from the right place. It's just how they're going about it isn't working to pull together people in such a way, like a collective effort, to make a positive difference. Oh, big one. And one of the things that immediately came into my mind, Jeanette, was the idea, and I don't know who, it's a quotation somewhere, and I don't know how it goes, but here are, here, here's the gist of it. We are either moving toward or moving against. Mm, I love that. Say that again. Say that again. We are either moving toward or against. So if we want to channel our anger in a way that can really make a difference, what is a toward move that we can do to help rally people, raise awareness, get support, and maybe, again, make legislation that will make a difference in our society? Moving against, well, one form of moving against is denial. One form of moving against is to condemn rather than find a way to change attitudes and change practices. 
So I'm glad you asked that question. Oh, you're welcome. Addendum to that, you know, what we're talking about here is, is on a national worldwide scale. But this is also true when we're just talking amongst our friends, rallying our friends together to help them move forward or our family. It doesn't have to be on a worldwide media platform, again, moving towards something like you just said, as opposed to fighting against it, can make a huge impact for the people that we're directly talking with, maybe on a day-to-day basis or on social media. Oh, I have a perfect one-on-one example. Oh, cool. We've talked macro. Let's go down to the micro. I had a meeting with a client last week and I've been doing a series of presentations and, and we needed, we had some glitches with the technology and it just so happens that the technology guy is kind of cranky. So she had to call him. I won't use any names here, but she had to call him. He came and he did grudgingly fix everything so that we were able to have the AV. But she, this guy has always bugged her. So after the meeting, she and I sat down and kind of debriefed what went on. She said, oh, by the way, my relationship with this guy has always been, oh my gosh, I have to deal with him again. We all know someone like that in our life. Yes. And she said, one time recently, this, ha- this all happened within the last three months, she invited him to lunch and they had a chat and she decided to make herself vulnerable and she talked about her brother who had recently died. And it's still fresh for her. She said, I actually saw tears in this mean guy's eyes, this cranky man. She said he really was touched by that. And so they had lunch again. And recently she got a note from him and it said, to my friend. And he thanked her for his friendship. He's probably been pushing people away all these years. And all of a sudden someone broke the chink in his armor. And now he has a new buddy. She has a buddy. And she doesn't mind calling him anymore when she needs technological <laughs> help. How, how cool is that? She moved toward instead of away or against him. That's a great, great story. You and I can continue talking for a long time. However, we, I, I do need to wrap up this podcast and, and maybe we'll have you come back on again because this has been a great conversation. Uh, one of the questions I ask all of my my guests are, what does success mean to you? And that may sound like a strange question given the topic that we've discussed today. However, what does success to mean to you and how, and how does that interact with grief? What success means to me has nothing to do with possessions or money, status or fame. It has to do with congruency. Is what I'm doing in line with who I am and what I believe? Is what I am doing giving me back what fulfills me? If I'm doing, if I can say yes to those questions, if I'm doing in everyday life what I just said, then I am a success. There are many successful people in this world that we never read about, hear about, or know about. And based on my experience with 
the individuals who've had a loved one taken traumatically from their life. This conference that I was at so often. One of the successes I have seen are people who change their career. Other people hold a conference to help individuals who are going through the same kind of pain. So being able to, once we face grief, being able to take that and wrap it inside who we are and turn it back to the world in the form of compassion can make us even more successful. I just love that. Thank you. So I want to say thank you, Leslie. I'm sure with the holidays upon us, uh, your insights are going to help many of the listeners handle their grief in a way that allows them to heal. Uh, Leslie has graciously provided us with 10 tips of handling loss during the holidays. The URL is provided in today's On the Air with Jeanette Sibley podcast overview, along with the URL for her book, All Is Not Lost. And I've had a family member actually read that book and get a lot of value out of it. So again, thank you, Leslie, for all that you've done and all that you are doing to help people in understanding what what grief is and that, oh, you mean because I feel grief, I'm not successful. Well, one has nothing to do with the other. I want to, again, thank the listeners today. Thank you for listening to On the Air with Jeanette Sibley. It's your time for success. Tune in next week for more insights on how to achieve the success you've always wanted with my straight talk for dynamic results. Until next week, enjoy a successful week.